Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11 is considered to be the definition of faith, Bible faith. It reads from the King James, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, One translation, I believe it's Weiss' translation, that says that faith is the title deed for what you can't see. I like that. Faith is the title deed for what you can't see. If you had a deed, a a deed of title for a house that you'd never seen, you'd still be the owner of the house. If you had a deed for a car that you'd never been in, You'd still be the owner of the car. Faith is the title deed for what you can't see, for the unseen. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul, writing by the Holy Ghost, said, For we walk by faith and not by sight. When you put those two verses of Scripture together, and there are others we can use and probably will, probably will go to some others as well. But when you put those two Scriptures together, you come to realize that what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost, or I like to say it better this way, What the Holy Ghost is trying to get us to realize is that faith is leaving the realm of the seen. Faith is leaving the realm of the seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writing the precursor scriptures to what we just read in chapter 5. He talks about having the same spirit of faith, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, well, where is it? Verse 13. He said, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. He goes on down to, uh, to verse 17, talking about the trouble that we find ourselves in and the resistance of the devil and so forth. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight, an eternal weight of glory. Far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Now notice what he says in verse 18. While. In other words, here's how to make the resistance of the enemy work to your advantage. The Bible says the trying of your faith works patience. If we got instant results on everything that we believe for, there'd be no opportunity for the development of patience. The resistance of the enemy, the time involved between when we believe that we receive from God and when we see it in in, uh, physical reality. I want to be careful in using the word reality because it's just as real before you see it as when you do see it. But there is a spiritual reality and a physical reality. There are a lot of things that are yours spiritually that are real spiritually that you can't yet see physically. So Paul is saying, here's how to handle yourself when things are tough and when you are finding yourself against the resistance of the enemy or being resisted by the enemy concerning the things that you're believing for. He said, these things work a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look at things that are not seen. While we look at things that are not seen. In other words, he's saying your faith is only beneficial to you when it leaves the realm of the senses. We know in Romans chapter 4 telling us about uh, Abraham's faith. It says, Abraham considered not his own body, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body when he was about 100 years old. In other words, he had a lot of physical circumstances in his body that he could look to that would disprove what God had promised, and that was a child. He had a lot of things that he could look at, and I'm sure the devil was trying to get him to look at every day. The condition of his body, the, perhaps the, the, the lack of change in his body from one day to the next. A lot of things that the devil would use against you and me, and you, I'm sure used against Abraham, to try to get him to be discouraged or try to discourage him, to try to get him to look away from what God had said. 
But Abraham chose not to be weak in faith. Do you know that's a choice? He chose not to be weak in faith. I think some people think that, that, uh, uh, that some folks, some Christians think that some folks are just stronger in faith than other folks. And that's not true. You don't have anything more than I do to be able to be strong in faith. We all start at the same place. And those that choose to be strong in faith, those that are strong in faith, are strong in faith because of a choice that they make. And that choice, first and foremost, is not to be moved by what we see. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sight stands for all the physical senses. In other words, it's saying we walk by faith, what God says to us, what God tells us in his word, instead of what we can see and feel. And if you're walking by what you can see and feel, it's not faith. Faith only begins where you stop looking at what you can see with your natural eye. Faith only begins where you stop living according to what you feel from your emotions or in your physical flesh. So Abraham chose. He made a decision when he was 100 years old, when it was, he was facing an impossible circumstance and situation. He made a choice, and that choice was not to be weak in faith. So what did he do? He considered not his own body when he was now 100 years old. He considered his own body not, not to be dead when he was 100 years old. But what did he do instead? If he's not going to look at his body, if he's not going to walk by sight, what's he going to do? But looking under the promise of God, it goes on to say, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, what you look at is everything. What you look at determines whether you're in faith or in unbelief. Faith is leaving the realm of the senses. In other words, faith is looking at what you can't see with the natural eye, but instead looking with the spiritual eye, the eye of faith, looking to what God has promised. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying we've got the same spirit of faith that our forefathers had. We've got the same spirit of faith that Jesus used when he was here on the earth. Jesus told us how to use it. He gave us an instruction about what to do when we pray in order to receive from God. He said in in, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, he said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believeth that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. As he saying, the mountain will move instantly? Well, the tree that he just cursed didn't move instantly. It happened overnight, which I think is pretty quick. The tree died from one day to the next, but it still wasn't instant. Well, what did Jesus do when that tree didn't wither and die instantly? Did he start wringing his hands and say, well, this is supposed to work. Father, what's going on? Now he understood that sometimes things take time. He understood that the, that the passage of time cannot affect your faith unless you allow it. The passage of time is not your enemy. It's a time where it's an opportunity for your faith to work. As soon as Jesus spoke to the tree, he left the realm of the senses. As far as he was concerned, what he said to the tree was as good as done. And the next morning it proved to be just exactly what he said so he gave us some instruction and every bit of the instruction that the bible gives us about faith is to leave the realm of the senses now turn with me over to luke chapter 5 luke chapter 5 i love this story in the bible because it it shows very clearly how the power of god works on our behalf specifically the healing power of god let's start in verse 17 it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, religious people, 
which will come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, I want you to notice the power of the Lord is there, but it's not doing any good. It's available, but nobody's tapping into it. At least not yet. Verse 18, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, notice first Jesus' first reaction. He didn't get on to him for tearing up the roof. Now, don't you know that the devil would have been speaking to these guys saying, you can't tear up somebody's roof. You've got to be kidding. You're going to, do, you're going to vandalize their property, their house. Just to find a way to let this guy down into, into the crowd. Everything that they were afraid or would have been tempted to be afraid of, Jesus doesn't even consider. He doesn't say a word about it. He just remarks according to the thing that he recognized, which shows us what God's always looking for. He's looking for faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether or which is easier to say? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know. He's going to show you which is easier. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took, that, took up that whereupon he lay and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, We have seen strange things today. Jesus proves to them that he has power on the earth to forgive sins by healing the sick. Now, how does healing the sick prove that he had power to forgive sins? There's only one possible explanation. That's impossible. There's no way for those connections to be made unless sin and sickness have the same origin. That's the only possible explanation. See, if sin has a different origin than sickness, then Jesus healing the sick would have had no connection whatsoever to forgiveness of sins. He's saying that the proof of forgiveness of sins, and they don't argue this at all. Nobody stands up and says, no, that doesn't prove anything. No, they go away saying, wow, we've never seen it like this. Why? Because they understood that sickness is the result of original sin. They understood that sickness is the result of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. They understand that. They know that. You remember over in John chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a man that was blind from birth and the disciples asked him a question. Their question is, Master, who did sin that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Now notice what they did know and what they didn't know. What they didn't know is whose sin caused the problem. What they did know is that sin is the origin of the sickness. They just don't know whose. Well, Jesus answers. He says, neither is this man's sin nor his parents. Well, if it's not his sin... If it's not his parents' sin, but he doesn't correct them about the source of sickness being sin, 
then whose sin was it? It was Adam's sin. Adam's sin opened the door to sin and death here on the earth. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore by one man sin entered the world, and death passed upon all men. Sickness is the result of original sin. So Jesus says here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to the doctor of the law, I think it's interesting that that's who his crowd was. And that's how Jesus responded to them. These are doctors of the law. These are men that are students of the Bible, the Old Testament, the law of Moses. He knows that they know that sin is identified as the origin of sickness all throughout the Bible. So he says, in order to prove to you that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, I'm going to heal the sick. And he does. Which shows us very clearly that the same power that heals is the power that forgives. Now with that in mind, turn with me over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. John writes to the church and says in verse 9, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me stop here long enough to say that I know what teaching is out there. And I know, I know some people teach that the first chapter of 1 John is not written to the church. Well, let's consider that for a minute. I mean, that's, let me just say up front, that's just wrong. Sorry. If I'm stepping on the toes of your favorite preacher, I really apologize. But the truth is the truth no matter who says what. The reality is very simply this. If, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to throw out one proof to you and let you consider it. And then those of you that are interested, you can take it. Those of you that are not, well, it's up to you. But here's the truth. If 1 John 1, 9 is written to the unsaved and not to the church, then John is presenting to the unbeliever a new way to get saved. Because where can you find in the Bible anywhere that the confession of sin is connected with salvation? Paul certainly doesn't say so. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, not the sins you committed, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, where's the confession of sin? It's not part of salvation. The part of salvation, the part of confession that brings salvation is the confession that Jesus is Lord. How would a sinner remember all the sins that they've committed to be able to confess them anyway? It's impossible. And what if they forgot one? What if they got all of them in their life except one? Then what? Well, if confession of sins was a prerequisite to salvation, then they'd be up a creek. They wouldn't be saved. But it's not. So Paul has to, uh, I'm sorry, so John has to be writing to the church. Never does does the Bible give instruction to the sinner to confess his sin. It gives instruction to the sinner to confess Jesus as his Lord. So it has to be written to the church. And 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 identifies that clearly for those that are willing to see it. He said, my children, another translation says my followers, my dear followers. We couldn't be a follower of John unless you were saved, could you? My little children are my dear followers, as other translations say. These things I write unto you, these things meaning what? 1 John 1, 9, among other things. We confess our sin, then he faithful and just to forgive us 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying, I just wrote that to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's saying to the church, I'm writing these things about the confession of sin and the cleansing from unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9, so that you not sin, and if you do, so that you realize you've got somebody on your side. Legal counsel. That's literally what advocate means. Jesus is your legal counsel for the forgiveness of sins. So here's my point. Here's the reason why I went through that. Here's my point. Since Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 to the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, he said, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say to the sick, rise, take up your bed and walk? Or to say to the sinner, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know, he goes on to explain, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sin. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. Proving two things. Number one, sin and sickness have the same source. Your individual sin has the same source as sickness that attacks your body. What is that original source? Or what is that, that one source, the same source? The original sin in the Garden of Eden. The second point is that it's the same power that heals the sick as the power that forgives sins. Now, we just read 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does forgiveness come? Well, just the way it says. We confess that we sinned. We missed the mark. We don't have to get saved again because sin doesn't do away with your salvation. It just breaks fellowship with the Lord. And so in order to restore fellowship, then we confess our sin. We ask God to forgive us, and he does. But does the forgiveness of sins, does the confession of sins and the forgiveness that comes with it change your feelings? Not usually. And people that are relying on a change of feelings are generally missing out on the forgiveness of sins until enough time passes where they feel better about themselves. But that's not forgiveness of sins. That's walking by sight, walking by your feelings. So if it's the same power that heals the sick as forgives sin, we know that it's an unseen power. And we know that that unseen power does not change your feelings. So think about that in relation to the healing power of God. If faith that receives healing from God is leaving the realm of the senses, then that means has to mean that it's an understanding that the healing power of God is an unseen force that does not affect your feelings. But you know as well as I do, that's where a lot of the church world gets stuck. They pray, they ask God to heal them, and then they check their body and they find a change in their flesh. They can't find a change in the way they feel about it. They don't feel healed. They don't feel any stronger than they did before they prayed. So they assume that God didn't hear them. Folks, if you take that attitude with, the, with forgiveness of sins, you'll never have confidence toward God in anything. You'll never think that God has ever forgiven you for anything. Isn't that true? Sure it is. So what do we do? We say, Lord, we missed it. That's what sin means, to miss the mark. Lord, we missed it. We didn't want to miss it. We didn't try to miss it. We just got stupid and missed it. So we ask you to forgive us of the sin, whatever it is. We ask you to forgive us. And according to your word, 
because we've confessed it. We believe now we're forgiven and we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for forgiven. Now, to the person that appropriates forgiveness, they just move right along. They don't wait for themselves to feel better. They don't care about what they, they don't care about their feelings one way or the other. They simply act on what the Bible says. And Jesus said, it's the same power that forgives sins that heals the sick. So how do we minister healing or how do we receive healing from God? Same power does the same work. Father, according to your word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. Therefore, I receive healing in the name of Jesus. Do we check our bodies to see how we feel? Wouldn't do any good. You don't have any promise from God that the healing power of God is going to change your feelings. You don't have any promise from God that the healing power of God or the prayer of faith, either one, is going to make an instant change in your body. Now, there are times when that happens, and boy, we like those times. Man, those are great, aren't they? But it doesn't always work that way. So what are we to do? Same thing as receiving forgiveness of sins. Just keep moving right along. Thank you, Father. According to your word, I'm healed. And go your way, expecting God's word to work. Yeah, but what do we do in the meantime? Turn with me over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I wonder, and I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't have an answer for this. But I wonder... I'm pretty well convinced of it, but I can't be sure. But I wonder if the development of patience is more important to God on our behalf than it is to us. I think most of us have kind of an attitude that, yeah, patience is important. We know it's important because the Bible talks about it a lot. And so we want to develop patience and we want to get it as quick as we can and so that we can just move on and forget about the rest of it. Let's just get that patience thing out of the way. But there's only one way that patience can be and is developed in your life. The Bible tells us on on several different places, in several different occasions, several different scriptures, the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. In other words, the time that you and I consider to be delays before we see with our physical eye the thing that we prayed for That's what the Bible says develops patience. Now, when is patience developed? When do you get to the place where you're perfected in patience? I I don't really have an answer for that. I have a couple of suggestions for you to consider. Perhaps it's the place where we quit worrying about time one way or the other. One thing I know about it, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not something that any of us care about or look forward to or, or seek after. Yet the Bible says it's important for our spiritual development. So there are going to be times. There may be times relative to physical healing. Healing in our bodies. There may be times when it comes to finances in our lives. There may be times when, when it comes to any and, other, any and every other area that we can believe God to receive from him concerning You plug in, you know, fill in the blank, whatever is important to you. There may be times where those things are delayed specifically for the reason, not because God's trying to hold out on us. He never holds out on us. And as far as he's concerned, if we pray the prayer of faith, it's already done on his end anyway. But there are times where what we seek after 
is, in our estimation, delayed for the specific purpose of developing patience. I don't know about you, but I want patience to be something that I develop in. Let's move on to the next step. I want to be able to say that I'm perfected in patience. You can't get any more developed or perfected in patience than me so that I don't ever have to wait again, which is the exact opposite of patience. Paul said, my brethren, chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. There's the best way to develop patience, and that is to count it joy while it seems to, while your answer seems to be withheld. I say seems to be because God's not holding out. We've all, as parents, come to the place where we realize the danger, the detriment that we can be to our children by giving them everything they want whenever they want it. We start off that way pretty soon. We've got a full brat on our hands. And man, that's hard to deal with once it starts that down that path. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, this is the only way you're going to be able to count it joy. Is if you know this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. I, I, there have been... Thousands of times that people have come to me and said, Pastor Mike, I don't understand what's wrong. Well, tell me what's going on. What do you mean? Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I believe God. I know I believe God. I know I'm standing in faith, believing in for my healing or finances, whatever it is that they're believing for. And nothing is happening. What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I'll always ask him, well, what are you standing on? What scripture are you standing on? I want to know what the foundation of their faith is. And a lot of times people will give me the answer. Well, the Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. Or they'll say the Bible says that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It says because I'm a tithe of the windows of heaven are open unto me or whatever the scripture they may be standing on might be. And then I'll ask him another question. I'll say, well, what are you doing during this time? That's where you get a blank stare. What do you mean? Well, what are you doing? The Bible says the trying of your faith works patience. So what are you doing? Well, I'm not doing anything. I just assume that it's not working. Folks, the time between when you pray and when you see the answer is designed for one and only one purpose. And I'm not sure who's in charge of that timetable. I don't think it's God that's saying, well, we'll let it go this far, but not that far. I don't think God's in control of the time in that way. I'm not sure if it's just a matter of the devil resisting, trying to withhold the the thing that you believed for and prayed about. I'm not exactly sure who's behind what. And thank God you don't have to know. Because the time between when you say, I believe I receive my healing, and when you see your healing with your physical eye is for one and only one thing. And that's to count it all joy. It's to thank God for the answer. That's what Abraham's characteristic of strong faith was shown to be. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What's he doing? He's counting it all joy. He's counting it all joy. He's counting it all joy. I've had people, bless their hearts, and, and I, I appreciate people trying to help me. But I've had people come to church, talk to me personally, Send me all kinds of articles. People that see it online and 
or on uh, TV and, and that kind of stuff. People are genuinely concerned. They see my handshake, and they're concerned for me, and everybody wants me to get help and so forth, and, and so people do what they can to try to help. But, folks, I, I, need to, I need you to know something. I've already checked with the best doctors there are. And there are medications that they've prescribed and that they've offered to me and so on and so forth. And at this point, I can't tell that it does anything. There's one medication that they put me on that made me stupid. Maybe I should say stupider. (laughs) Really, I felt like I was walking around in a daze. What good is that, you know? There's only one thing for me to do, and that's count it all joy. Now, how long am I going to have to do that? I'm prepared to do it for the rest of my life. I don't believe it'll take that long. But there's only one thing for me to do, and that's count it all joy. I've got family members, bless their heart. They're concerned about you. You know how your family cares and all this kind of stuff. And family always wants to know what you're doing. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I read an article that said this and so on and so forth. I've got friends in ministry all over the country. You know, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I've been surprised by this. The people that seem to care the most about me going to the doctor are other preachers. And I'm just amazed by that. Well, I know of a good doctor. I've got a good doctor in my church, or I've got a good doctor reference for you. Well, thank you. But for me, it's still the same thing. I've got one and only one job in my life. That's to count it all joy. And I'm prepared to do it forever because the Word of God's true. And for that reason, I don't think I'll have to do it forever. But I'm prepared to. Well, why is it taking so long? How long has it been, Pastor Mike? It's going on four years. Four tough years. So what do you do? Well, there's a couple of options. You can sit down and cry because it's been four years. You can complain to God. I know I'm in faith. I know I'm standing on your word. I know I'm believing God. Or you can count it all joy. One way works and the other way doesn't. I think I'll stick with what works. I've got people, bless their hearts, that want to pray for me. Oh, can I pray for you? Pastor Mike, I want you to know I'm praying for you every day. Well, that's great. I appreciate that. But you're wasting your time praying about my healing. I got that covered. If you want to agree with me, that's fine. But I got that covered. I've got one and only one job left. That's to count it all joy. Count it all joy. See, faith is leaving the realm of the senses. Faith is leaving the realm of the senses. The shaking you and I see in my hand is proof that I have something that you can't see. It's proof that according to the word of God, I'm healed. Same thing's true for you too, isn't it? We have one job. Once we pray to receive what the Bible says belongs to us, we have one job and one job only. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Folks, if we become so taken up, this is what Lillian Yeomans talked about. She talked about, uh, told a story of a lady that was in her healing room. She turned her, she and her sister uh, used to be medical doctors. Both of them were medical doctors. She got hooked on uh, morphine. 
and she was prescribing it to herself and taking it out of the hospital medicine cabinet or medical supply and that type of thing, and she got just tremendously addicted. She started losing everything about her life, and so she went to the Lord about it, prayed, received her healing. And once she received her healing, and I mean, it was just a, a complete transformation in her life, she stopped practicing medicine and started preaching the Bible way for, to healing and health. So she and her sister inherited from their father a just huge house in Chicago, Illinois, their home. Her father was very wealthy. He was a doctor too. and So when he passed away, he left the house to the two sisters. So they finished out these rooms. It was a huge mansion type place. So they set up these rooms as uh, healing rooms. And there were waiting lists for months and months and months for people to get in there because they heard of the success they were having. And they ministered to everybody exactly the same way. Twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, when they'd bring food, they would sit down and they would read Deuteronomy 28. It talks about the curse of the law and sickness being the curse of the law. And Galatians 3, which talks about Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And they'd just pound it in day after day after day. The sickness is a part of the curse of the law and Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed you from sickness. There was one lady that had a vision while she was there. And in this vision, she saw one of these uh, weights, these old-timey weight things. I don't know what you call them. Scale. Thank you. That was too tough a word for me to remember. (laughs) These old-fashioned scales, not the small ones like you see in a courthouse or outside a courthouse, but one of these great big ones that you see in the marketplace. Big baskets on both ends. And one basket was way up high in the air and the other basket was down low, uh, tipping the scale on, on one end. And the basket that was full and it tipped the scale all the way to the bottom was labeled prayer. The basket that was up high was labeled praise. And the Lord spoke to her in this vision and said, when your praise balances out your prayer, that's where you find your healing. So she got so caught up in praising God for her healing that it became... It became a, um, well, it became the focus of her life. She's not counting the days anymore. She's just pursuing the one thing that the Lord told her to do. She started praising God. Well, she's doing it out loud, and it kind of got a hold of everybody else in the house. She's praising God and singing these little sing-song things about praise God, thank you, Lord, for my healing, whatever it was. And it started catching up on the people in the house, other people in the house. People would hear her and they'd kind of, you know, get on them. They'd start praising God too. Well, she had another vision after a period of time. And I don't know how long it took. Don't think that was part of the story. But after a period of time, she had another vision. And when she saw that in this vision, she saw it now instead of it like this with prayer at the bottom and praise at the top, she saw it balancing out. And instantly, or from that, at that moment, she was healed. I don't want to say instantly, but it happened in an instant after she had been praising God for a period of time. She was healed. She jumped up out of bed. She had been bedridden, hadn't been able to get out of bed. She jumped up out of bed, started screaming and hollering, started running through the house into every room saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Everybody started rejoicing with her. There were five or six people that got healed that day because of her rejoicing. The rest of them learned a great lesson. 
they learned, they heard about the story, they used the story to tell to the newcomers whenever somebody new would come into the house. And it became the, the focus of the house. Not just prayer, not just faith, but praising God for the answer. The results, which had been phenomenal up to that point, increased exponentially. We have one job to do once we leave the realm of the senses, folks. That's to count it all joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to count it all joy. Thank you for the privilege to stand in faith. Mr. Devil, we serve notice upon you. No matter what you throw in our way, you'll not stop us. No matter how you attempt to delay us, we believe the word of God is true. We stand in faith and just like Abraham set an example for us, we choose to be strong in faith, looking under the promises of God and giving glory to God for the answer. Thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to count it all joy. Heaven and earth will pass away, Father, but your word will never fail. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. If we were healed, then we are healed now. No matter what it looks like, no matter how we feel, no matter how it seems, healing is ours. We believe we receive our healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We count it done according to the eternal unchanging word of God no matter how impossible it looks nothing's impossible with you father and you said nothing's impossible to us if we believe so we count it joy we count it joy father we declare that we're not under the curse for Jesus has set us free hallelujah hallelujah Father, let us be like that lady. Let our praises at least balance out with our prayer. We'd like to be known as a people of praise rather than a people of prayer. We'd like it to be so that our prayer, our praise outweighs our prayer. But at the very least, let it balance out. We love you, Father. We thank you for that your word is working mightily in us. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Say this after me. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how I feel. The word of God says that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I am healed. Therefore, I count it all joy to believe God in the face of circumstances that would claim that the word of God is not true. I say God's word is true and healing is mine. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Folks, I want you to know something. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. I'm saying it by faith, and you may have to too, but it's so good to be healed. According to the Word of God, it's already ours. 
according to the word of God, it's already done. Hallelujah. Some folks will think you're crazy. And they'll think you're crazy even after they see your healing. So don't be moved by crazy people. Be moved only by the word. Amen? Amen. Say it again. Healing is mine according to the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.